0: and with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on
2: Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop
1: 24-7 with super fast shipping, midwayusa.com.
0: Just today, one of our grinders sent us an awesome email thanking us for our help for his excitement about the upcoming season. He said there may be a lot of chance involved, but he thinks he will have a leg up on the situation come September. First of all, we are really thankful for that letter. So humbled and appreciative. But there's one thing we want to remind our grinder as well as all of our listeners, never forget this destiny is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. No one is lucky unless they first put themselves into a step situation to have an opportunity. You won't ever win a race without first stepping up to the line. Then Add training to that. Do all the right things. Eliminate your possible failure points and study the weaknesses of your opponent. If you prepare your mind and body for those actual difficult hunting situations and scenarios, being mentally and physically ready for what catches other hunters off guard, then you stack the odds of your success in your favor, especially if your opponent slips or staggers, or makes just one small mistake. Today, it's part five of our Elk Bros Preseason Elk Guide, situational prep and training ideas. Forget about chance, y'all. Let's start stacking those odds. That discussion along with our Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. (laughs) Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by elkgrows.com, with your host Gilbert Nellis and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gilli. You want to hunt elk,
3: and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters.
0: Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for our blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Arnellis, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from Katy, Texas. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear. One of the leaders of the Venezuelan Mafia, Luis Uh, Gonzalez, and from the DFW area, Ah, uh, you know how it is. The second leader of the Venice, Manano oh, 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 And
4: from yeah. Cimarron,
0: New Mexico. <laughs> hunting coaches are in the house? Leroy, the Ninja Chavez, and that's right, He's in the house. What would
1: Joe Julia do? What's up, fellas? Okay, Ranto. That was What's rude. up, guys? That was really rude, baby. That was really rude. Really ah, the truth hurts. The truth well, hurts. He sometimes. said he said that the second leader I mean, yeah, I yeah, mean that's no, number I, two, I, I bro. That mean, means number two second you gotta you gotta have number two. Second,
0: you gotta have a two. I Leaders. Know. Leaders. I know you guys, is, you guys right are, right right
2: are right. lost in the translation. That just means yeah, yeah. Two, yeah. two of you. There's two. There's two, two yeah. man. That's right. You I'm number one, up.
5: he's number two. Very you simple. Play, <laughs> that's what it means.
0: Man, well we've created a monster, Joe.
2: And you know what though? They're finding out, Gilbert. Um, everybody out there listening the first podcast. Of the VM Hunters, uh, Cazadores has been recorded. Recorded. And, sir. I think Luis is finding out how difficult Gilbert's job is. Oh
5: my god, dude! And I tell you what, man, I can't get Manano to shut up, dude.
2: <laughs> I told
5: you that. That was my turns. Uh, I have to be signaling him in the background, like showing him the the watch, and he's like, "No, we we got to do these in forty five minutes."
2: I'm like, "Yeah, right, sure."
5: Yeah,
4: <laughs> there's you know, no, there's no way. I want
2: you to remember when when I first started this podcast. Gosh, going on two years now yes, uh, almost two years right when we yes, first sir. started this luis listened to it and he came back to me and says you know joe i've been reading and uh <laughs> they say that the optimum time for a podcast is 22 minutes <laughs> and I was
0: like, we ain't been optimal yet we got like five <laughs> optimals in one podcast <laughs> we're we're extra optimized aren't we though <laughs>
2: I can't do my oh. name in 22 minutes. Man. Oh, man, they pay
0: me to talk. I talk leg off a of wooden Indian.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. Uh, I think you guys are finding out a little bit about the, how quick.
1: Yeah, the and, and, and how hard is to get the good footage or, and, then, and the podcast record. Yeah, and
5: Manano says this without any idea of the editing part.
0: Who's doing the oh, editing? Yeah. Is Joe doing it? No. That's oh. Luis. Yeah. No,
1: that's leader, a that's of the, a the, not the leader really of the no, Venezuelan Beto, mafia Beto. has to take the now, lead and do it. Now, you know no Now I mean? you are, I mean, you're realizing that. I mean, the staff that's a staff job. <laughs> it's a staff <laughs> job. <laughs> All right, <you> <laughs> boy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Have you hey, seen a CEO so, or uh, <laughs> have you <laughs> seen a CEO, COO doing a, a you know <laughs> like a, in the line? I get you I know all
0: I know is a pig gets you, fat, and a hog gets slaughtered, oh, so y'all watch out, don't want to be the hog right, <laughs> got to lead by example, bro, got to lead uh, by example, so how somebody's got to pick started? up the slack? How long was it? No, it was exactly one hour, oh man, that is fantastic, yeah, you mean yeah. you actually got Manano to talk for an hour? I, c- I couldn't get him to shut up for <laughs> an hour. Ah, that's so cool, man <laughs> uh, <Yeah. sighs> I can't wait, dude. <laughs> yeah oh, that's yeah. so cool i'm proud for you guys man thank all you for y'all put the work in and and uh you that's know exciting. we kind of coined it about a year ago yeah. and, uh here we are oh it yeah. couldn't have happened without all of you guys
5: oh not, yeah it's not be one it.
2: moment of possibly? that is so many times we're listening to you guys and i'm over at chav when he's doing a workout and we're listening to you guys talk and he goes are they speaking spanish <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, you, you know uh you know i'm i'm uh I'm, I'm going to hunt this week. Y'all probably won't hear it till next week, till after the hunt's over, but uh, I'm going to hunt this week with Mr. Paul Snowert. And uh, he 100% requested the Venezuelan Mafia in camp, man. And uh, I got to tell you, Luis Gonzalez stepped up to the plate. He's going to be there, and uh, he's had to wade through hide and hell water to get there, but he's going to make <laughs> it, Paul. So uh, we're going to have him in camp. We'll have uh, – We'll have a good time. I guarantee it'd be some good food and so you're uh, gonna, gonna have a some hogs. camera
1: see stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Make I, sure, I make sure Mr. Paul might not want un- no cameras with him. I mean, you know, when you put a camera with somebody, you can't lie about anything. <laughs> <laughs> these, are, these piggies will make you daggum uh, you know, it'll yeah. make you humbled real quick. Yeah, so, yeah sir. Uh it oh, doesn't take, t- right. you know. First of all, you know, these pigs are so smart. I have such respect for oh, yeah. the Venezuelan mafia guys, how well they get on them. I mean, they had an unbelievable hunt this past week. You guys will see that as soon as the footage comes out. I mean, they put the smack down on yeah, some man. swine we, uh, this week.
5: we brought we, – uh, we wanted to take Rafa on a goodbye hunt, man, and, yeah. and took him there to to the lease. And, and uh, he wanted to really try them heavy arrows. Yeah. And, boy, did he get to try them on two pigs, two yeah. – uh, shots that you know you probably wouldn't consider with previous you know he, he said it himself I don't think I would have considered those shots with my previous with my previous setup and and it's just like you, the second shot it's it's so lethal that pig died in six seconds and it didn't go one yeah. yard I, have, was un- I haven't unbelievable.
1: seen that before mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, look, I mean, sure. what you guys are on with your arrow prep and your adult arrows and stuff like that—they' yeah. scary. You know, yeah. I, eventually, I know I'm gonna have to bow the knee and get there, and I'm be real—I'm gonna be real scared for you know. I shoot a hammer now and blow through everything I shoot, and I, like I said, I've shot through hogs from you know rooter to the tutor and i mean it <laughs> comes right out you know so you put me one of them heavy arrows on there oh man i Her might killing. go through three or four of them suckers, yeah you, you
5: start know? killing trees bro yeah that's, get that's what here, that's man. what mr that's been the
0: whole thing that's been the whole thing with me is you know now that i get to hunt in a little softer country usually i've been hunting up in them rocks all the time out in west texas mm-hmm. and Man, it just wear every arrow out you shoot. You know, you wears your broadheads out, everything. But now, you know, we hunt a little bit more towards the river, and we can save some of them heads and stuff like that. So I'm I'm gonna I'm making a point to come visit my brother over there, Luis, and get a few of these uh tuned adult arrows made up with a heavy heavy uh outcert and, uh and a good FOC. We'll oh, be happy I'm going to shoot 125 or 150 grain broadhead and uh we'll see how they fly on some piggies. Well, my my quiver's
5: got my quiver's got a variety of six different arrow setups that I'm going to be bringing this weekend. Uh forward to <laughs> putting
0: I, one in mine and <laughs> letting it go. You know, Look,
2: but you know, I got to tell you that tribute uh piece came out today on our oh YouTube. Gosh, oh yeah. Joe. And uh
0: amazing you did so good with that bro
2: oh thanks man and and i tell you when uh that shot goes through though that logan shoots you already see the
0: blood coming out
2: oh and and that arrow just goes through it kills all that and just drops on the other side of the deer
0: man Mm -hmm. it's It's on the ground before the deer reacts yeah sure
2: does the deer so fast yeah I mean, and it's on the ground when the deer is starting to hump up, man. And-
0: Amazing shot.
2: Yeah. yeah
5: Amazing and,
0: shot. And he, you know, Logan doesn't shoot a big, I mean, he's got a big bow that he can turn up and he's, you know, he's getting stronger and stronger. And, and he actually can, you know, I say he can't shoot. He pulls my bow back. So he just keeps it at about 60 pounds because it's so easy to pull back and there's mm-hmm. really no quiet. Uh, there is nothing to hold him back. It's it's quiet, and you don't have to make big movements, and it's easy to hold. He can hold it a long time. And he just flat with that setup that he's been shooting. He's been shooting some carbon arrows that are a little cheaper. Uh, and, you know, he shoots that muzzy trocar, and it absolutely knocked <clears throat> a huge hole in the entrance and in the exit. Y'all saw that deer bleeding as soon as he hit him, you know.
2: Yeah. So, oh, in in the slow motion, man, it, yeah. you see a pumping. Oh, man, Ray yeah. Charles
0: could have followed that blood trail. I, ain't lying, I mean, It was, it was straight up. I mean, blood everywhere, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, And then to have it, you know, big Tony died that day and uh, you know, it was just a really tough day. I mean, Tony, like I've said many times, Tony Casenzo is one of my closest friends. He was more like a dad to me than anything, Joe, you know? And, uh, so having him in my life uh, and then having him pass and uh, you know, he's known Logan since Logan was a baby. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, Logan and I really want to do something cool for him and have a tribute sent to him. I could have not ever done this though without Joe Gillia and the crew at elk bros putting that footage together and putting it out as a tribute to uncle Tony, man, we miss you, uncle Tony. We love you. And to his family, uh, he will never die. His memory will remain with me for the Absolutely. rest of my life. It came Thank out, God. it came out
5: beautifully and and it Thank was you, it was moving and, and I, I really enjoyed watching the video and, and definitely
0: hit a note. So yeah, for very sure. Very well done, brother. Thank you, Joe. You betcha. Amazing. Guys, you know what time it shout is. Shout out. It's shout time out, for our shout out. Bro shout out. out, shout you, out. you are new Dude. to our show. This is just shout out to a few cities with our most listeners topping our charts this week.
2: Yep, and we get to do some shout-outs to some of our grinders. They've been leaving us some great reviews on Apple Podcasts. Everybody knows who's up there first on Talk, Mike Bozarth from Payette. Idaho.
5: Yeah, Mike.
2: Mike left us one up love, there. Love
5: your new bow, brother. Love it.
2: <laughs> oh, it's sweet-looking, isn't it? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, it, I, I loved this one here because, you know, now we're not always getting names. We get, like, these little... You know, monikers of I mean. This one was I'm a straight boy from Tri-Cities, Washington. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris from Minnesota and Big Fan Dan, man. And I believe this is Dan from Colorado, if I'm not mistaken or wrong. Big
0: I, fan Dan.
2: Big fan like Dan, it. man. Who yeah. is
0: I'm a straight boy from Tri-Cities, Washington, <laughs> man? Come on, man. You yeah. got to come tell us who you are, man. You can't just send us something like that and tee it up and leave
2: it dry, oh, man. My, uh, <laughs> let me tell you, man the tri-cities area has been rocking our our podcast. So yeah. uh it's good to hear from somebody over there now and, and I'm still waiting for either somebody from Lake Stevens or West Lake Stevens to tell us what the heck's going on there cuz man
4: we
2: <laughs> more listens from west now it's it's defined mm-hmm. out. It used to just be Lake Stevens. Now it's West Lake Stevens and they are giving they are the leading listeners every week over all cities that's a big dm both you know denver and dallas man so <laughs> they're there yeah, manano's yeah. got all those in us. dallas
0: so man they all we'll listening you know? the Alabama, they don't they don't speak <laughs> english bro <laughs>
1: Oh, so I don't care. I don't care as long as they see the podcast. And they listen to the podcast. Click on it.
2: Yeah. So there is no video shout out this week, which is, Ooh. hey, um, I mean, guys, that hurts me in my heart. I hope you guys listening out there can 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 hear how much that hurts me right now. No yeah. video shout out, and. Mm-hmm. You know we really want to see y'all's mugs on here, so remember if you want to be a part of our special video shout outs, get your cell phone, take your cell phone, and shoot a ten to fifteen second video of yourself in landscape view, tell us your name, where you're from, include a home of whatever line, and tell us something special about your hometown. You can send that video through a message on to our out <coughs> Or you can email me, joe at elkrose.com, and that you have a clip, and I'll send you a link to our Dropbox. Come on, y'all. Show your face. Celebrate your place. But <laughs> we did not get a video shout-out, but we did get an awesome shout-out email from one of our grinders. So, Ed Morris. Wants to shout out to all the fellow elk hunters from the home of the greatest two minutes in sports, the Kentucky Derby, and the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali. Originally, this city was the hunting grounds of the Shawnee and the Cherokee. It was starting point for the famous Western Trek of Lewis and Clark in 1803. It was right here in the original Galt House, that's G-A-L-T, which still exists today, where General Grant met General Sherman, and they planned the march to the sea during the Civil War. It is the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln, and according to Ed, (laughs) because there, there might be some arguments out there, so I'm just saying this, this is, you know, parentheses there, According to Ed. (laughs) Home of the finest bourbons in the world, the fastest racehorses, the most beautiful women, and is now the home to the largest herd of elk east of the Mississippi, with some four hundred class bulls running the eastern mountains on reclaimed coal mine property. None other than Louisville or Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, a big shout out mm. there, man.
0: City man I went to several uh, distilleries there when I when I made my rounds through there. It's amazing bourbon <laughs> country right there.
2: Yeah, so. Absolutely, man. Louis. And
0: I am a bourbon fan, so you know I do partake every now and then in a little bit of bourbon. So for sure, and
1: some front too. Yeah, you know, we, don't <laughs> dis-
0: we don't discriminate. We don't. Discriminate.
1: Yeah,
5: Luis. <laughs> Yes, sir. So this week, Stop Listening City hails from the East Coast and is driven in part by the NASA facilities and is the location of numerous high-tech companies. It is the home to the Florida Institute of Technology and Patrick Air Force Base. It was founded and settled after the Civil War in 1867. Numerous mastodon and other prehistoric remains have been found in this area. West
0: Melbourne, Florida. West Melbourne, Florida.
5: Ew.
2: Florida Ew. back in the house, hey, way down that... in Mastodonville. Wow. <laughs> hey, how, how does that? How does that? Uh, how does that yell go, Manano?
1: Yeah, yeah. There we go.
0: <laughs> Manano's got it down.
1: I'm practicing. Oh. I, I know, I know it, man. Have you been practicing call... when you read? Yeah,
0: that's yeah. awesome, dude. Call they'll call they'll let Manano call us in a bull next year, Joe.
4: There we go. Yeah.
5: That's the Can weakest. We... That's the weakest yeah I've oh. ever heard from in my life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm really yeah. confident. Yeah. Uh, that's a yeah. confident a... sign,
1: you know. It, yeah.
5: It sounded as weak as a cow go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All
0: right,
5: true, fellas. That, that all, right, all right, back
0: on track. <laughs> Up next, let's go back to the west coast. This top-listening city was actually named after a city in Tennessee, the hometown of founder William T. Newby. It is located at the connection of the North and South Forks of the Yamhill River in the Williamette Valley. For those wine lovers out there, it's located at the epicenter of Oregon's famous Valley wine valley with over 220 wineries and vineyards known as a wine lover's heaven and Pinot Noir paradise in McMinnville, Oregon. McMinnville, Oregon. McMinnville, Oregon. I you guess know there's a bunch of, of happy ladies in
2: McMinnville, man. McMinville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If they have wine going on, you know that there's a ha-
1: bunch That's of a happy ladies. Happy seated, there. Yeah, hoppy seated man. right there. Made back. So the next top listening city is a port city and the second largest city on the shores of Lake Superior in Minnesota. The waterfront lake wall trail passes by the most photographed landmark in Minnesota, the 1905 Area Lift Bridge. Over 100 years old, the steel mammoth of a bridge connects the city to Park Point Sandbar, Great Lakes Aquarium, America's only freshwater aquarium, and the Lake Superior Museum. This is going to Duluth, Minnesota.
2: Duluth, Minnesota. We were there. Duluth, Duluth. Minnesota. Did y'all go to the aquarium, Joe? Nope. Uh Had no idea it was there. If I did, I mean, because we've been to some big aquariums, you know, we've been to some of them over there and uh Louisiana and mm-hmm. uh a- along the coast there and different places. I love aquariums, man. I just love mm-hmm. aquarium. Me I like when they feed those uh uh those people in wetsuits, you know, to the fish.
3: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jab you up next, brother. Okay. Uh last but not least, we head back across the Mississippi to our next top listening city. This city was formed from the Watauga settlement. Which is leased from the Cherokee Indians. Pioneer and folklore hero David Crockett lived here, and with his dad John, they established a tavern here in 1794. The site still stands as the Crockett Tavern Museum. The city is also known as Tennessee's disc golf capital, and that is Morristown, Tennessee. Tennessee. Tennessee in the
2: house, man. Did you guys see how we traveled right there? I was going to say,
5: man. Kentucky, yeah. Florida, Oregon, Oregon. Minnesota, Tennessee—so cool.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. made yeah. us a little round through that. there, Joe.
1: All, all, all
2: over. I tell all you what, that
0: Tennessee Valley is one of the most beautiful places in America. Uh, we get to play ball in Chattanooga, and man, it's right on the banks of those Smoky Mountains, and it's it's in the Appalachians, you know, the foothills of them. Beautiful country, man.
1: Yeah. What what I guess Joe goes for. I mean. If you go like uh, that, he, he's gonna give a shout out for Dallas. He find the most difficult war for Dallas. <laughs> so he has to remind <laughs> the people. There is, a, there is one, yo There is one here. There's a Waksahashi
0: Yeah, Waxahashi. Uh, the, and
1: where's the other one? Um, mm-hmm. Shreveport.
2: Yeah,
0: Shreveport.
1: Shreveport. Shreveport.
2: Shreveport
0: took me three
1: years. Well,
2: for everybody from Louisiana, Shreveport is extremely easy, Manano. <laughs> and- <laughs> for you.
0: There ain't nothing easy for them Louisiana boys, I'm
2: telling you. I you. I, 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 look, he's over there staying quiet, letting me roll under the bus over here. <laughs> <laughs> But who does all of these? Who who writes all these words, Chav? Who writes all these? I don't know. I don't know. I love <laughs> Chav. Like, what are you talking
4: about me,
0: Joe? He, he, he did hang
5: up a little bit on that Watauga uh, man, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he got a little bit of his own medicine right there. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: man, these guys don't miss a lick, Chav.
5: Yeah.
4: I got
0: something from my front pocket right here. I'll show it to you in a minute.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, tonight's topic. Remember, all you people listening, the goal of our elk preseason guide series is to give you our tips, which is our perspectives, how we do it, to get things rolling in the right direction for you so that you have a plan the what, when, where, why, how to hunt elk this year. Um, we're on part five. Next week, part six is eight key mindset components to successful elk hunting elk hunting. I ran out of air there, y'all. Um, part seven, learn eight, so long, man. Elk. <laughs> elk calling. Part eight is elk scouting focus goals and realities. Um, and there's going to be some more coming up. But tonight in part five, situational prep and scenario training ideas. And I'm going to kind of start this out and then we're going to get to the meat of this. And you guys heard in our intro, Gilbert said our intro was a book today. Uh, it was a pretty long one there. But we talked about a letter from one of our grinders and how luck, he talked about how luck or chance comes into play. So what I want to tell you is this, y'all. Beyond drawing a tag and, or the area that you're going to draw, elk hunting is not a game of chance unless you make it one. If it was, okay, yeah. how would the same guys you know be killing the, the the elk year after year and and they are. I mean, if there's ten percent of tags being filled, they say ninety percent of those <laughs> are the same ten percent guys, man. I mean it's the same guys year after year. Mm-hmm. And guys, I believe that another twenty to thirty percent of guys, I truly believe this. Another know that 20 to 30% of guys are having encounters that they're just not closing out on. And why is that? Is it bad luck? Is it chance? Well, I believe most bad luck is a direct result of preparation or lack thereof of preparation, knowledge, and a lack of action. In other words, they're just not sure what to do when they get in those situations. Because take a look. Right now they're saying that, uh, our current success rate for archery is anywhere between ten or twelve percent. Right,
4: mm-hmm.
2: rifle between twelve and twenty-five percent, depending on the area where you go. So here's the question: I, I really want all all of us to think about this, and all you listeners. I hope this makes sense to you. I want you to listen to this. What would your success rate be if elk were easily present? Every day in a place that you know, like the back of your hand, out in, <laughs> out right there in front of your target at home with no competition, a known distance, you standing with great form, perfectly level, no obstructions, perfect weather, comfortable clothes, no gear on, that elk standing broadside, perfectly still, and you relaxed and breathing calmly. So, what do you guys? What do you think the success would be in that situation? For Monano, about thirty percent. Be much higher than ten
5: to twelve percent. Well, you thinking? so it would be, yeah, you know, be, be a hundred. yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, Everything... Well, I think you
0: got to account for always that 1%, but yeah, I mean, 98, sure. 98,
3: <laughs> <you know>. oh, <laughs> there's always that 1%, right? Ben? Yeah, bent or something. <laughs> <laughs> or, you,
0: you know, when you drag your gum bow back and, you know, things don't go right, you know, your yeah. knock falls off or, you know, whatever yeah. it may be, but there's always that 1%, right?
2: Oh, uh, Yep, absolutely. So when we look at that, We look at like archery 10% and we're saying now with all of those conditions, we're at 199, 95%, right? Okay, Got
0: no problem with saying yes. So
2: so then it's probably safe to say that the difference in making up an 80 to 90% gap in success would be the ability to hunt elk that are hard to find someplace that is unfamiliar with other hunters present at unknown distances shooting up or down in cover various weather conditions with various hunting clothing and gear heavy packs in various shooting positions with a moving target at different angles while sucking air and trying to breathe right there you go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and do Lack is at full force <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it you know it like I've said a thousand times man this thing will hit you in the face like a crappy mop and you got to be ready to rock and roll you know yeah. um If you've practiced and done what you're supposed to do, you're going to be more polished for that scenario. If you haven't, I can tell you right now, everything you learned about bow hunting will run out the crack of your behind when that bull is screaming bloody murder in your face because there is nothing in the world. Like a bull coming in, and he is screaming at the top of his lungs. It will, it will mesmerize nostrils
5: nostrils dilated, smoke coming out of their mouths
2: and noses, belly going all over the place, peeing all over itself. Is there any way? Is there any way a person can get prepared for that particular situation?
0: Mm -hmm. just, just the
2: idea of that animal screaming at him like that.
0: Yeah, man. I, so. I mean, I have Logan, we, we, in our practice, we yell at each other. You know, we try to create distractions, bang on the side of the fence, do whatever we got to do to try to create that distraction and then try to focus through it, you know? Yeah. Um, and look,
5: nothing like the real deal. No. Right. You try but, to simulate. But yeah, but you, you can minimize a, a how you feel and learn how to control it. Well, you know, for, for us, Manano, and, and that's probably where you're going to It's like, are 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 trying to control the Vito lacis with the hogs and and it's probably our best training for that. Oh, all yeah, you talking and,
0: and for yeah. me for me no, it's a switch. I was know, to... it's almost a switch when you turn that switch on all of the, but it takes experience in in mm-hmm. understanding how to switch that on and when that switch comes on everything else kind of tunnels in Yeah. it's time to close you know oh, and then before you know it you've drawn your bow back and you're like, oh my gosh! Don't <laughs> deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Manano. I'm sorry to mean to. No,
1: no. Here. When you say you you're trying, we are practicing with with uh, Logan yelling yeah. at each other. I said, okay, I got a ton of practice because Anna yells at me every single day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got you, baby. Hey. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, that's normal. But no, being serious, uh, uh, we have talked about this, uh, this uh topic several times before. So if you are in Good shape, practice, and 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 just be confident. You have to be confident. If you practice, you will be confident. But there is a factor. There is a there is a an element in the equation that is birulakis. That affects a lot. Yeah. Uh, so,
0: yeah. Uh, hey, for uh, us yeah. that don't know what that is, it's buck fever. You know, if buck you guys fever, ever had
1: yeah. it, you know, so, It's just uh, a big
0: adrenal dump, and yeah. it's hard if to you, control it.
1: If you have the chance to go out and hunt pigs, if you are here in Texas, that would that would give you some uh, some leverage. Yeah. Okay. Look, I've
0: been hunting. I've been situation. bow hunting since I was like thirteen. I'm fifty one, so. so it's. A lot of years you know um my son witnessed me that happening to me this year on a really giant white tail that i knew was too young to kill but i'd made my mind up that i was gonna try to put five years on him and <laughs> and go ahead and kill him And when i made my mind up that i was gonna do it's a 150 inch whitetail, right so i mean i've only killed a handful of white tails that bigger bigger and i'm telling you it was so cold that morning when i went to draw my bow back i'm like yes. after i decided i was not going to shoot after i got the deer within 20 yards I mean, i'm looking him over i'm like man, i cannot put more than four and a half years on this deer and i look at oh, logan man. and and logan's looking at me and he's like what's up i'm like how old do you think he is you know the deer's 30 yards from us logan's like my dad, I'm I'm serious. I think he's four and a half. And I'm like, okay. So I set the bow back down. Oh, my God. I, mean, I yeah. went to shaking, man. I yeah. couldn't stop it. Yes. And Logan starts laughing at me, man. And he's laughing. He's like, what is the matter with you? I said, this is why we hunt. You can't get this anywhere else, son. It costs lots of money, and you need rehab if you're going oh, to do yeah. stuff like this. You, you know, Manano
5: and yeah. I always talk about it, man. Vito Lack is get- Exponentially worse
1: with cold that's weather. It' worse than yes. enemy of your yeah. yeah. lack of. Oh yeah, uh,
0: that's why I try to do everything I can stay warm, you know. But <laughs> it it doesn't. I don't get it as much as I used to. Well, boy, you know I, I got a little nervous in that situation, and I shouldn't, cause I mean that's like old hat to me. But I love it. It's a game that we love to to play, you know. When I, I guess last year when I dove down there and went and shot that bull. We didn't really have time to get lockers, right? I mean, that stuff was happening so fast. Stuff was running in and out on us, and I'm blowing stuff up. And before you know it, this elk walks out right where I, you know, range find. I'm like, oh, man, 50, 55, you know, <laughs> and it was over, you know. So, right. But the, the, my experience plays into that. I shoot through really tight windows, Joe. Yeah. You know, we shoot around corners. We... Yep. You know, we try to mimic everything we can that could happen to us. We shoot from above, we shoot from below. I mean, we try to mimic everything we can. You know,
2: and that's what that's what I want us to do with what we're doing tonight. This is scenario and situational training. Yeah. And if if you look at that and you say, okay, if you know, there's a ten to twelve percent, and if i had all of those primo situations right there i'd be 195 then what we got to do is we got to take a look at when those yeah. situations aren't primo and work on
5: those things specifically
2: exactly yeah. because if we're working on those specifically now we're able to raise our percentages up because we are now mitigating those things yeah. that make it difficult right yeah. and and
5: joe look when i look when i read through you know what you're talking about there all those things that you know that you can practice mm-hmm. putting aside the video and 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 right. how you f- you know the, the the nervousness of the situation so, uh so everything-
2: before you leave that or hold that thought before you leave it because i'm going to tell you something you guys that are listening um and what they're talking about in, and to feel it's pressure right it's pressure it's pressure mm-hmm. to perform <laughs> Um, to make sure that you put a good hit, don't wound an animal. That's when people really feel that they, because they feel a responsibility for their shot, right? Yeah,
0: and, it's that fight or flight response that absolutely. you get in the d- adrenal yeah. dump.
2: So I'm going to yeah. tell you guys, if you want to feel that, um, I want you to tell yourself that you're going to go to a 3D shoot and you're going to get in a group. Okay, <laughs> I want you to tell yourself that. And then what I want you to also tell yourself is and honor this is when you get to that group, that you're going to go in and say, tell everybody, man, I am like one of the best shooters in my county. I kill it. I <laughs> that is true. Out, man. <laughs> that I mean, is true. I want you to set yourself up to be, you know, where everybody's going to stare at you and have a high expectation. And if if you're telling yourself you're going to do that, well, you better be ready for yeah. it. And it's going to be a way cool kind of pressure. Let me tell so, you.
5: So two things there, Joe. Um, <laughs> I was putting aside the virulacis portion and saying right. you can cover all of that on a 3D shoot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're uh, yeah. not if you're not rangefinder. So it's funny you mentioned the 3D shoot now with that aspect that you mentioned, now right. you're adding that portion so if if you practice 3d shooting every year doing exactly what you just said man i mean you should you should definitely up your game for sure because i think everything else you cover i mean on a 3d shoot you're going to be shooting with the equipment that you normally shoot um if you make it if you make it without range finding it's more challenging and it's harder because obviously those targets the animal targets on the 3d shoot they're not real size Right. You're not, you know, uh one right. so, to one.
1: Right. So bring a bunch of arrows.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then another thing is you're not really shooting with your broad hits, but I mean, still you're getting the majority. Right. You're covering the majority of things there. And and funny you mentioned that because I think the reason why you say that is because that's exactly how you failed on that competition that you won that the first day of the competition where you were stacking them and then the second day eyes were on you oh, yeah. and then you were just not even hitting the target oh, because dude, you felt it, the pressure.
2: It's <laughs> amazing what pressure does yes. to you. Self-imposed pressure does to you. Yes, I mean, sir. At, at 20 yards for me, I mean, I'm like shooting the eyes out of squirrels at 20 yards <laughs> with my bow. Right. And I've seen know, it after, after day one. And then I come back on day two and now instead of shooting, I'm thinking about shooting, and it just wiped everything out. And it was—I swear to you, man—it was like that target just—it just went away, man. Twenty it, it <laughs> yards, go 120. My first arrow on the day two, and I mean, I was—I was leading after day one with multiple X's, all of the. And my first shot on day two hit the target next to mine. <laughs> I plucked it off that bat. I, I, I kid you. I'm just telling you. <laughs> what
0: Look, I mean, you yeah. know, uh, it, it's going to happen to you. The best thing you can do is practice, and and those things will take care of itself. You know, I had a coach that told me all the time, "Pressure is what you feel when you don't know what you're doing." But we've been doing this a long time. You know, it's just in the scenario you don't want that opp- You know, bow hunting's fickle. You get so many opportunities. You got to right. cash in. You know, that's right. So you put a little more pressure on yourself to make to close that. Yes, vehicle. sir. It's a little different scenario mm-hmm. but look the more the more the the harder you make your practices I tell my kids this all the time practice needs to be really hard so games are really easy if we can go through a three-hour practice also play a two-hour you know two two-hour games with no problem you know and and not lose mental focus because it's the same thing in the elk woods. we have to focus mentally on you know how to close the deal our wind direction all of those things to get close enough to close the deal you know I, I harken back to when I'm I made one of the best shots in my life. I say this all the time about each each elk I kill. But the biggest bull I ever killed when Chad was with me, it was a big giant bull. And I had to make a 71-yard shot. And that shot was amazing. Cause I had to shoot over one limb, under another limb. And make it make it happen. You know? And
5: I got I got the video of you explaining that shot right after you made it, man. Yeah. I got I gotta give it to Joe and see it's if still, we
0: can and it's somehow post window, it. Yes. Man, it, it was just amazing. That bull stopped and he stumbled actually and he stopped in the perfect place. But look, Joe, it's my practice here that drives that. Right. My practice here, I shoot through a window like this all the time. Right. My wife freaks out. She's like, you're going to hit that side. It's going to kick that arrow up and go land in the neighbor's roof and yada, yada. But that that helps me focus
2: so much. So let's let's talk about that. Let's let's give them something out of this in that, okay, so when we take a look at all these areas that we can improve in, like, Luis, now you talked about the 3D shoot. But what I find is when guys go to 3D shoots, they more discover their weaknesses than <laughs> practice their weaknesses. They, they kind of discover them there. And they're not always in their full gear, and they still can stand up with a foot on a peg, you know, depending on how good the 3D
5: yeah and also you're not you're not really um,
2: you 're not really being tested physically correct yeah I mean so there 's a lot of elements there, yes, but I totally agree <clears throat> with you man. I mean that is a great place to find a lot of sure. failure points and to put pressure on yourself shooting mm-hmm. with tears. I think that 's great, but now, what Gilbert was saying about this let 's talk about um When we said that part of the thing that hurts is shooting where, you know, if I can shoot where there's no obstructions, man, I'm a rock star, right? Yes, sir. But what happens when there's branches, when there's windows, when there's gaps? Because I tell you what, the window I had to shoot through this year, oh, my goodness, man.
5: Oh, man, that was unbelievable. Thread the needle. Unbelievable shot at 60 yards.
2: But what do you do? Because there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that when they are actually out there, there will be a limb or let's even say that there's a, a log that comes up halfway in between right across the kill area. All right. Wait, yeah. What's that, Luis? No, I was going to say
5: is like, if you don't understand the, the path, the trajectory of that arrow at long distances, don't shoot at long distances. And no doubt. No I doubt. tell you this because I've made that mistake. Yeah. I I tried shooting at long distance once, and I, I could completely – it goes both ways. And, and Joe was trying to explain one, but I'm going to explain the other side of the coin is that you see the target perfectly in front of you. That pin lands on that target perfectly in front of you. You pull the trigger, and that arrow goes up. Oh, way up, yeah. And in the middle of its trajectory is way above where you think it's going to be, and it hits a limb and then before it even goes down yeah. so but what joe is talking about uh, is, by the
1: way by the way that limb was i don't know 16 <laughs> 16 17 foot <laughs> yeah it was oh, way God. up there it was way up there yeah that's a whole
2: different deal so it is that's so, a different
1: deal Luis. yeah
2: so but <laughs> when what joe
5: is talking about is now you have a you know you have a log in between the mid halfway between you and your target. Right. And that log is in the middle of that shooting area. But if you understand that that arrow is actually going up before it's going down, if you center that side in the log, where you like imagining the target behind it, that arrow will go above that log then drop down into the kill zone uh, where you want it. But you need to, unless you practice this left and right, you won't really visual. You gotta visualize the path of the arrow.
0: It's all about angles. Joe called a big seven by seven in for me one morning when he and I doubled up. But he called a big seven by seven in, and he and he hung up about. Well, he was eighty three yards. I remember like it was yesterday. And I got to my knees, standing up. I, Noah couldn't make the shot because there was overhangs. But I got to my knees. And there were a couple of times when he had his butt to me that I had a real clear path. And then he turned broad. I cow called, he turned broadside at 83 yards. And I had a little bit of this, right. Right where I knew it was going to have that to draw. go through that angle, you know, yeah. and I'm at full draw and brother, when that pen settled, I'm like, Oh buddy. And then I, all of a sudden I see a little something like that. Right. I'm like, man, <laughs> There's no reason for me to let – this is the first day of the hunt. There's no reason for me to have uh, a wounded bull. And it's a big old bull. And I'm like, there's no reason for me. I know my limitation. There's clearness. We got a dead bull on our hands, fellas. I promise you, I'm going to set it in him and, at 83 yards. He's he's toast, you know. Uh, I, but we practice like that, man. The guys and I – we me, Joe – uh, Chab, all of us practice that. We get to camp, man. That's one of the funnest things I do. Is after my nap, I get up and get my arrows out, and I put the target down there 100 yards. And man, here we go, man. We start stacking them in there. And Brendan comes out and goes, I can't even see the target down there. <laughs> I'm
2: like, yeah, come on out here. You, can get you but, can't, you know, anymore. to put oh, sure. things, you know, so that you have stuff in between you and yeah. move that back and forth. So, you experience trajectory. So wow. if you're shooting at 50 yards, let's say you're shooting 50 yards, you put something so that it's covering right across that kill at 50, uh, in between, halfway between you and that and see what your arrow flight looks like. As you get closer to that target, that trajectory changes as it starts mm-hmm. to go down right so uh now a lot of times the thing that you have to worry about most of all is what's above and not really the thing on the bottom yes sir what is talking about yeah. so you know there's ways of practicing that i recommend everybody if you want to not have a failure point to do that chav and i remember chav we would always play horse yeah you know uh we would put a target or we'd put certain thing on we would do it like a lot with rubber blunts or um with judo points and we would use cans, we use all kinds of stuff and we would shoot from Behind trees, through notches, uh, uh, around the sides of bushes, you know, with little windows, with stuff hanging over, just so that we would really have to. Number one, we were having fun. We had to explore a whole lot of different shot, whether we got down, whether we stood up, whether we went to the side. Um, Sometimes you'd have to canter by going down, trying different things like that. But having a blast doing it, but learning so much in the time that you do it right
5: so joe a few a few things and and to that point um one of them is uh trying drawing in different situations yes. sitting down on a tree stand um in uncomfortable positions you know um, I, it, it, I think i think just feeling comfortable drawing in in, in any situation is is super important um, but but also i you know i want to open up and pandora's box here a little bit because uh we can also talk walk. about not only not only
2: is out relative of yours first of all i'm to know who pandora is hey it's <laughs> i'm just making a quick parenthesis oh okay though, like, all right. <laughs> <like it>. okay <laughs>
4: so, so,
5: yeah so uh so yeah we the way we hunt is you know we normally the way we draw is we're either standing up or on our knees, right? Or maybe even sitting down. But look, there's a lot of guys out there that hunt blinds. So you have to practice in the blind, be aware of your surroundings because failure points in blinds are exponentially oh, higher absolutely. than they can be somewhere else, right? Also tree stands, you know, the way the tree stand sounds, where it's the sitting position that you feel most comfortable with oh, when yeah. you're drawing. Mm-hmm. And then- and then a whole nother world with rifles, right? Because we've, we've been kind of talking archery, but now if we talk rifle preparedness, you know, what are the things that I guess you would need to do in order to be prepared for a rifle hunt, Joe?
0: Um,
2: Yeah, you know,
0: totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A different set of, I mean, you need to learn how to shoot off of sticks, prone, off your pack, you know, yep, do a lot of, cool. you got to do a lot of gun work. Got to go through off some ammunition. You can't just, yeah. Yeah. Off a of tree branch. I mean, a lot of prone pack work, a lot of shooting stick work out to 300 yards. I mean, and you, I, I'm telling you th- there's a lot people just think, Oh man, I'm going to pull up and grab me a 30 off six or 300 wind mag and go kill an elk. Yeah. That ain't how it happens. I've seen guys. I mean, can't even hit an elk at 300 yards. And these uh, guys are generally pretty decent shooters, you know, uh, but they don't have that I,
2: I have seen a big problem where guys spend so much time trying to get shooting sticks and stuff like that set up for a shot that they should be shooting offhand.
0: Yeah, and, inside 100 yards.
2: Yeah, or, or even 150 yards. With You know, you're shooting a rifle with a good scope at 150 yards, man. I mean, that offhand shot should be just – smoking man i mean gilbert you can shoot a daggone bow at 100 yards oh and, yeah not a problem and so, so why can't you shoot a doggone rifle at 150 yards
0: don't don't let him get out there 100 yards from me joe i'm gonna close my eyes and kill him do <laughs> make sure the scope is is you know, right do, yeah but look I, I tell we don't let anybody on the ranch unless you go shoot your gun before you ever go to field and we love our whitetails you know and we love our hogs we owe it to the animal to give them an ethical kill. So when you get to the ranch, man, if a guy don't let you go shoot your gun before you go out, argue with him. Go shoot your gun.
2: And go put I'll, some time in. I'll tell you where the thing that they got to practice a lot is um, what we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Because if you notice, I said that you get a chance to shoot relax, and breathing calmly rather than sucking air and trying to breathe. Yeah. You know, that's where you do some of that hit work. That you yep. guys are talking about what I call yeah. hit-target practice. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go hard for 20 seconds. You're going to walk yeah. for 10, pick up your weapon, and shoot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, a lot of guys with the rifle, they have them dialed up too much, and they can't find anything in the scope because that Don't. daggum scope's bouncing. That's up, very true. Right? So, I mean, they got to know that when – understand the situation because that's a failure point right there mm-hmm. if if i'm in a strenuous deal or even if i'm somebody that gets really excited i would rather at 200 yards turn my turn it down a little bit so i'm not worried about things jumping all over the place
0: yes sir it have been a lot of animals and even confirmed people kills on a four power scope joe yes sir thousand yards so <laughs> i mean at the end of the day <laughs> you know you turn that dude down till you're getting dialed in there you know I, I make sure all my guys they get in the blind it's on the four and we can find what we're looking for and we dial it up from there you know yep. uh, or if we're spotting stalkers or, or something like that but that's a great point Luis, with, the, with the gun stuff
5: yeah and i was going to say gilbert i mean you've got way more experience than uh, most of us here with regards to the rifles and stuff like that what are your thoughts on Maybe going off the tangent here a little bit, but uh, I've heard some guys really talking seriously about the importance of a good trigger job.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's personal preference for each mm-hmm. guy. Uh, most weapons, when they come out of the factory, got a four pound trigger Uh, and that's strictly for safety. Uh, some guys want a half pound or something like for me, man, a two pound trigger, get it done. Two and a half pound trigger, get it done. It's safe uh you know everything's about breathing and squeezing and letting the gun scare the crap out of you when it goes off because that will yeah. be a real true shot you know yeah. so it's about breathing squeezing and letting it happen but as far as trigger jobs and stuff if you don't like your trigger go have it worked on you know yeah. but at the at the most you're going to get out of a really good factory gun nowadays going to be about a four and a half pound trigger and if you actually crease use your pad or your crease to squeeze that trigger man four and a half pounds ain't all that much but a lot of guys want a little bit lighter, one, feel like they get a little bit better pull with two, two and a half. Some guys go to a one pound, but that's dangerous. That's now, it. Gilbert, you
5: mentioned something important about the, the, the shot scaring you there. And, mm-hmm. and you talked about the breathing and stuff like that. And I know mm-hmm. you've, you've often said that uh, it's very similar in, on the archery side.
0: Very. Uh, I mean, yeah. you, first of all, it's a big breath in that fills your lungs with oxygen. The first thing that your eyeball, if you hold your breath, the first thing that goes on your body is your vision because it doesn't have oxygen to support your vision. So filling them those lungs with air and, and getting it all in and then pushing it out as you start to squeeze, it's a rhythm. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom the gun goes off. Everybody's scared to death. And now you got dead animal because you aim small, you miss small. You know, uh, I, I can't tell people that enough. I tell my kids all the time if you knew when that gun was going off, that was not a good trigger pull. You
5: know, Hard to do when you're
2: scared or yeah, nervous. Yeah.
0: <laughs> true, true, but that means you haven't done it enough. Hyperventilating.
2: Hyper yeah. or, or with a rifle, you've done it too much and you're overgunned. And so you're already flinching, flinching. and overgunned. Yes. yes.
5: yeah, Yes. Yes. That's a good point. Well. Know, there's a
0: lot of guys who want to shoot Whitetail down here with a 300 wind mag. And I'm like, Man, give me a 22, 250 or 6.8 SPC. I'll, I'll stack them like cordwood in the back of the truck, you know, because I'm going to put it everywhere I want it. I'm not yeah. ducking that gun and, you know, scared it's going to scope me in and stuff like that. So good stuff.
2: Please. So going back over to um, when we talk about scenario training, yeah. I, I find that another um, thing that is really hard and a, a big error point And it's not so much with the rifle because the nature of the weapon lets you get away with so much, but shooting at unknown distances is, I think, one of the biggest causes because guys get caught so many times with an elk. Yeah, Here's the thing that I always hear, and and yeah, I want you listeners to hear this, is how many times as a guide over the years or hunting with other people or talking to other people, that something happened. They had an encounter and it blew up because they said it happened so fast. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's like, it, it just happened so fast. I wasn't yeah. ready. So he closed
0: the, he closed the gap so fast. I, yeah. I could, I, you know, I didn't know
2: what to do. Well, or it just showed up and all of a sudden he was on top Boom. of me. I yeah. mean, came in from the right. And I, I mean, I heard him bugling, and now next thing I know he's right on top of me. Yeah. And I, So I want you to understand. I want you to hear this. You can be hunting for days and days and days, hours and hours. And in one minute, everything happens. Everything changes. And it's going to happen fast. Now, yeah, sometimes, you know, you take a look at Manano when he was down this year watching that bull walk in on him. He had a chance to really look at that and to see that. But there's so many times that that doesn't happen like that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah.
0: Take a look at my my bull walks up the hill, and I can't believe he stops. I draw. I can't believe he stops where he stops. And talk about looking above him. I'm thinking, you know, 51, 55. I, I put my 50-yard pin right in the middle of him and cut it loose. It looks like it's 10 feet over its back because it's downhill, you know. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, oh, yeah. That, that, that's a great
1: thing. That's a great point because most of the time yeah. you don't have the, the benefit to see right. the, the the animal, animal coming. coming. Yeah. 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 Now, if you're in a tree stand time. and you're hunting deer, well, yeah.
2: But, man, when you are going through those woods and you're talking and you're throwing out calls, all of a sudden you see an animal on top of you. A lot of times you're in a situation where you're not able to go and reach for that rangefinder because, look, if I have to make a decision of – having an arrow knocked and being ready to shoot versus ranging an animal and then trying to get an arrow knocked and getting ready to shoot, you know, there, there's just a time consideration there. So, sir yeah.
0: Yeah. Which is worse. It's a movement, yeah. Yeah. I, implore, I implore guys to go shoot with no range finder and learn what 40 yards looks like. Cause if you can read 40 yards, you become an unbelievable threat with a bow in your hand because Mm -hmm. you're going to get some shots that are a little bit like shooting through a window or down a corridor that look deeper than it normally is. But I can tell you this, if you shoot at 20 yards with your 40 yard pin, you're going to be about that high. Okay. About that high. And if you're aiming where we want you to aim, it don't matter. You're going to kill that bull dead as a hammer. So, you know, one time I had a buddy of mine hunting with Joe and this bull walked within eight yards of him and he asked Joe, Yo, how I'll far is he? Which <laughs> pen do I use? And Joe goes go all of them. <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't mean to get on you there, Gainer. But I had look, it. It, and too, I man.
5: had a situation like that this this past year, right? This last season, yeah. right? I mean, I that that bull walked in front of us. but I know how far you know,
1: 12 feet, <laughs> you know? know. And, uh, but in no time, he was looking like... Yeah, he was
5: right in front of you, right? So he spooked, <laughs> and at that point, he stopped, and then he turned broadside. But I don't have time. I know I don't have time to actually, you know, range him at that point. I just kind of had to go try to go by instinct. And look, I still was a little high, right, on the shot. But um, that th- that's what those that practicing those 3Ds, this understanding of the distances will get you. And look, I was shooting downhill as well. And that will kind of take take part on the, you know, changing the situation a little bit because uh, if you're shooting downhill 40, at 40 yards, it oh, may be
2: 40 yards. okay. I was going to say at, at 12 it'll, feet. It'll, it don't
5: matter. It's a game. No, team. no, but that you know, when he when he spooked, right? Uh-huh. When when he when Manano scared him because he was talking on the phone. Let's just remind everybody <laughs> what happened there. Um, it, it it ran at about 30 yards, give or yeah. take, right? So, yeah. obviously, at that point, you know, I'm shooting downhill 30 yards. I've I kind of range him for 30 but I was I was a little high on the shot because I was shooting downhill a
3: little bit Yeah, I think another aspect you know kind of related to that is you know when you practice hold your draw and try and hold it for a minute then shoot and then uh, to go even a step further hold your draw for a minute then uh, let go of it and then draw again because you know when you draw back you know I think Banano had that situation where he drew and it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, you, you, you had to let down and then draw again. And that's hard to do. So, you know, if you can hold it, you know, let down and then draw again, that, that'd probably be good practice to get you in case you're ever in that situation.
1: It was a
5: hog this year, Chaff, that it, it was like a, 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 what was it, Manano, nine minutes, 10 minutes, that hog, which just came in and just wouldn't give me a shot. Yeah. I drew Three times on Hog from the tree stand, man. Talk about just just ten intense minutes of we're like, what the heck, man? Are we yeah. gonna get
2: a shot or what? So that wears you
3: out. Pretty, pretty it good. wears
2: you out exactly. Yeah, it's and, and, So mm-hmm. Chad, yeah. how do you how do you prepare for unknown distances? Because let's give people something to be able to train.
3: Oh, the well, like you like uh, you mentioned before, when we do our 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 uh, our, our game of twenty one or or horse or whatever, you know that helps with with judging distances. Even though it almost killed you that one time, I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah Joe them. Joe held a branch out of the way, and I was above him, and the the cam i just kind of rolled up like that yeah. and whacked him on the, the, the top head. Of the head. Yeah. <laughs> I th- I thought Cap shot he me.
2: That shot <laughs> I thought he had shot me in the head. Was... <laughs> oh, yeah!
4: Don't that was do that. Serious.
3: Don't try that at home. Do not. But that's one uh, that's one way to try and judge distances. And uh, like I think what Gilbert mentioned before, if you can judge up to 40, 45, you know, you're set. I mean, for me, I'm set because I won't have to shoot it. I don't. I won't shoot further than that. But you know, that's that's a factor there as far as, as judging point. distances. But so so it's I, great if you have some. Something- That's ranging, you know. That's that's
2: amazing. So one of the things that go ahead, Gilbert. I'll I'll yeah no.
0: So for one of the things that helps me, man, is every setup that I have when I'm elk hunting, I'm constantly ranging distance before the animal gets to me. I'm going to range objects out in front of me, left, right. uh, But generally, I've got a caller behind me, uh, or I'm calling, uh, depending on you know the scenario, but you need to range first everything in front of you out. for me, it's a 40 yard window. When I, when that bull comes in and he gets in that 40 yard window, I call that the red zone. He's in real trouble. So for me past 40 yards, you know, if I find a 50 or a 60 or a 70, that's great. And if the bull hangs up out there at 60 or 70, I'm going to get a reading on him without him seeing me generally because I'm in really good camo, and I've got some cover around me. I'm not you got the uh, Valkruel camo, bro. Yeah, do what
2: you got the <laughs> Valkruel camo exactly. for? You. Y'all you
0: didn't see that camo hiding me from yeah, no, that tree. I <laughs> mean, I'm <blew laughs> in like crazy. Yeah, yeah, but I but you
5: know, can't. I, 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 I didn't. I just saw I just saw trees and nature there. Exactly. I didn't see anything
0: else exactly. on that picture. <laughs> so well, for <laughs> me, it's about that about that certain situation, and 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 doing your ranging. Why why you coming
1: in? Yeah, I always I always challenge myself while while I'm hunting. I I always say, okay, how far are that tree? Yes. I said 40 and then I range it. Oh, right. 35. Yeah. That's going to give you a yeah. good sense of judging. Yeah. Uh every single time I I I do it, I mean, r- good several times, several yep. times. Well, so I'm strong,
2: you know. one, one thing to practice everybody can do is, is what I tell people is is um, we do one, what we call um, tosses and walk-ups. So when we're mm-hmm. at our range, we take our arrows, six arrows, and as we're walking, we're tossing them. We're just tossing them. And then we do walk-ups. We go to the last one, we pick it up, we take one shot from that area. We go to the next one, we get one shot. Go to the next one, one shot. And that really helps you as far as unknown distances, just one error per location. And I tell you, when you do this, do it in an area that you're shooting through trees and do one where you're shooting out and clearing because it looks different man yes it it looks a lot different and the most important arrow on my bow when i'm hunting when i'm actually out there because that's the one time you everybody's so used to always shooting all the time at home and prepping and stuff then you go out for days and you don't shoot a lot so i i keep a judo point on my bow and i'm constantly shooting with my judo point
0: well well, for me unless i go to a 3d shoot or i go to the uh Texas Archery here, one of our archery pro shops and shoot their course. I don't shoot without my broadheads. I don't hunt with anything other than my broadheads. So I constantly practice with them, you know. Uh I have a set head of, of heads that I just practice with and uh that keeps me in tune with how my bows, my arrows are flying and everything else. And then yeah, I've got some some field tip arrows that I'll go to shoots with and stuff like that. But for me, I want everything to mimic the same that I'm doing in the field versus what I'm practicing all the time, you know? Yeah, I, and that's how, that's how I do things. You know, yeah. Joe? You, one of the cool things about your bow, Joe, and how you shoot is you're instinctive. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of, Oh, that looks 40. I'm going to, I'm going to hit him with that. Right. The cool thing with Joe is Joe shoots such a, a heavy and uh, hard hitting bow but it's unbelievably quiet. I listened to the footage of you shooting your bull this year, mm-hmm. and you can hear the bow like that, but what you hear even louder is when it hits the tree, yeah. right? Yeah. So Joe, Joe's bow is so quiet that he actually can get a second shot at a bull with no problem, and I'm going to tell you that. That is something too. that for sure. My bow is a lot louder than that, and when I cut it loose, I may not ever get that second like opportunity. Yeah, Joe's sure. bow is so quiet. And he shoots a real heavy
2: arrow with a real heavy broadhead. And, and I put cat whiskers on every cape. Yeah. And, and, and that I, is, I might, I might so guys, that's key, a second, man. But,
0: keep, your, yeah. keep your bow shooting quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, it will give you other opportunities in the elk word, Yeah, man, mananas yeah. Manano's squeaks all the time.
1: Well, that, that's not an issue for me because I always use one arrow. Yours, <laughs> yours squeaks. Yours squeaks that's all it. the time.
0: Hey, when you write you write homie you uh yeah. you're three for three so we we got to shut up that,
2: that,
3: that somebody had to use see. two arrows this year so yeah.
2: what <laughs> as far as as far as going back to scenarios though there's there's another thing that we talked about was people always shooting in great conditions and then when you get mm-hmm. in sucky conditions when mm-hmm. you get in a, a tough wind coming from the side when you when you get in heat and your palms are sweating so that you're uh the, the grip the grip feels a little bit different in there. Or you end up putting a glove on your hand where your grip feels so much more different. Um, or you have a drizzle out there where now everything's kinda of sticking a little bit and yeah. feels a little bit different. So um I I'm not able to tell you enough. Wind training, man, I would tell you is huge. You you need to shoot and win because you're gonna find out something that that is like, if you have a strong wind coming from your uh, left, left to your right, you would think that most of the time you're going to, your arrow's going to land to the right. Well, I'm going to tell you it's going to land to the left a lot of times. And the reason it's going to do that is as you're resisting against Fork. that wind— Mm -hmm. Yeah, what happens is if that wind slows up, it changes, you end up coming towards that left side as you shoot, and you will shoot towards the left. Yes, sir. Um, it's it's just something that you won't know until you practice stuff like that. And what I tell people is, you know, when you do wind training, the most important thing to do is forget the wind, focus on your point, and release on your point. Because mm-hmm. when you focus on the wind, you're going to end up shooting hard to one side. I guarantee it. But you won't know until you feel that. So wind training is huge. Okay. Yes,
0: sir. it's and, Yeah, you know, and it went, it went for me at distance, Joe. When I shoot past 50, 60 yards, everything's got to be right. Oh, you know, yeah. Blowing absolutely. 35 out of my right-hand side, I'm probably not making that shot. I know how difficult it is to make the shot with really good conditions. Yep. So, you know, you got to rein yourself in some, guys. You know, not every, not every good shot at 50 or 60 yards with wind blowing like that's a good shot. It's just not. Y'all got to really understand what your limitations are. And I think a lot of guys step out there in the elk woods and thankfully, they're shooting at a white-tailed deer. They're not, right? These animals are tremendously gifted. They can access on them. They, they spin. They get low. I mean, it is crazy how athletic they are. And, uh, for their and, size. For their size. And uh, again, those scenarios, What when we talk about training ideas and scenarios, situational prep, guys, when you're working on your prep and you're shooting your targets, you gotta shoot at angles. You gotta learn the anatomy of the elk and learn where. Okay, we if he's quartering hard away to our right a little bit, we can drive it up that fifth rib and make it come out behind the and offside do that shoulder. With three D, yeah. do it absolutely. When you, when you, you have
2: bet. a three D target, yeah. forget about that twelve ring. Forget yeah. about that exactly. that line for yes, uh, the vital area and you know, practice the way it's going to be. If you have it quartering away, you're going to shoot off that hip so that you're driving through that other shoulder there. Practice that. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it's critical. Your your 12-ring changes.
0: It's about challenging yourself, fellas. Challenge yourself in your preparation when you're hunting other animals, you know. Uh, I told the guys this year, I said, man, I bet you I could stone one of these pigs by shooting right in the head, you know he won't run anywhere look where we hunt in texas it's bad i mean everything sticks bite scratches or pokes you and this year i had one of them rascals come walk rock around about 12 yards from me and i told logan i said watch it i mean he is (laughs) done son you know that's pretty
2: cool i didn't know you could do it it was man i mean that's
5: that's one of the things too when you're when you understand your equipment, yep. when you understand the capabilities of, of your equipment and what you can do and what your arrows can do, um, it was interesting having a conversation with Rafa this weekend. I was like, man, I, I was making shots with a different mindset. I knew this arrows were going to blow through regardless of the position of the pigs. And we're just talking pigs here. Um, I knew that if I just aimed at the heart, regardless of how that pig was positioned, I knew that arrow was going to blow through and get there. And just having that confidence and that mindset that the arrow could get to that point, it just, it was a game changer for me. He said, you know, and, and, and sure enough, I mean, he made two shots and left two pigs on the spot. It was funny at the end of the hunt, he was like, okay, so the average running distances of my two animals this weekend was what, half a yard. <laughs> and so because the first one didn't even move, it was laying down.
4: Was and
5: dead. uh yeah. And uh and it would just it would just it stay there. And even if it was not sick like we figured afterwards, I mean that pig would have not been able to move. It broke the the back hip and it came out of the sternum in front of the chest. Yeah. And then the second shot was quartering away. And it just blew – it went in through the last rib and came out to the right shoulder. And that pig went one yard and, you know, tits up six seconds. <laughs> so so also understanding, to Beto's point, understanding the capabilities of your setup, of your rig and what you can do. And, and if you focus – it just gives you a different mental um, –
0: yeah, and Rafa's uh, not a super experienced archer. You know, I mean, he's been doing it a little while, he's but come not a really
5: now. long ways though. And and then also he's up his poundage on his bow. He's yeah. shooting now at around 60, 68, 69 pounds. I mean, he couldn't get that bow up to seventy, right? But I mean, he's uh, he's definitely up in his game, and with his arrow up, and he just he just feels comfortable
0: making these That's shots. All it that matters. That's everything. Matt, confidence is everything. Yes, when you sir.
2: start shooting, so I uh, want to talk about two areas. Now I want to talk about two other areas for situational, and and one of them is conditioning in full gear in your packs or you know with things in your hands so that you're mimicking that situation. And the other one though that I want to talk about that a lot of people miss out on is dealing with unfamiliar locations mm. and. I think that is a huge failure point for a lot of guys when they get up in the mountains because they're not, number one, they're going to, we always talk about animals needing food, water, and security. I, I think one of the big failure points for, for hunters is they end up going back to camp because of food, water, or security. security right? yeah. Okay. So uh, there's, ways that you can make yourself more um comfortable, more secure out there in unfamiliar locations and I think that's critical to practice that. And you know, you've got great tools these days. We have base map. We have uh uh GPS with base map, but if you don't if you don't work with that and understand how these GPSs with their topo lines can lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, if you don't understand that, then you don't have a full perspective when you get up in the mountains. And, and it becomes shockingly different out there because it becomes so much steeper, so much bigger. And, uh, you know, there's things you can do. Either by yourself or it 's fun with a partner man if you um, If you have a partner, you can do g p s treasure hunts right, so you can take two different areas that you guys don 't know that you don 't know, and one could go in and plant some things in there, give waypoints let that person study it and when you study an area and you study the features of that area, whether it 's water whether it 's roads trails, and these are things. That I recommend for all you guys when you're going to go someplace unfamiliar to know if you know the trail system the road system where the water is where the creeks where the high points where the low points where the grass is versus the trees um, where you have rises or finger ridges from one one area to the other now if you're in Texas and you're trying to practice this um, it might be a little bit different but You know, in the area that you guys hunt your pigs at out there, there's definitely areas that are grassy. There's definitely areas that are open. There's some that are thicker. You have creeks, right? You can find those areas that are deep between roads. You know where your road system is. And so those things, when you do it on a GPS and you start getting out there and relating what you're seeing to what you're actually encountering, it becomes an incredible situational learning tool.
5: That is very true, Joe, because uh, then that way you can – and look, you got to keep in mind sometimes this GPS maps uh, are not 100% updated, right? So, meaning the pictures that you see may not be 100% exactly what they are now,
0: and then it might be outdated. Yeah, they could have been taken three or four years ago.
5: Yes, sir. So, I mean, I think what you're talking about is – exactly it makes it makes perfect sense actually we had something like that this weekend right Manano? when we were out there exploring some of the new areas on the lease and stuff like that so yeah it's it's very easy to um you know we, we knew there were some areas that we wanted to explore and investigate they look thick in the map and then as we were walking through it sure enough they were thick but then we discovered some bedding areas and 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 hog
2: see right yeah
5: populated areas yes sir
2: Well, because those hogs actually root and create those areas where – if we're talking about elk hunters that are coming to the mountains of the west. So, Chav, do you think those topo (laughs) lines in
3: our hunting area have changed over the years? No, they haven't. But uh, like Gilbert always says, you know, you go go uphill both ways, so.
0: Hell yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's rough. (laughs) It's a hike, man. I'm telling you.
5: Even though – and then you also go in circles
0: yeah man and they those topo lines go in circles especially when they're real close (laughs) together but it doesn't do them justice you know we hunt some real rough country and i'm I'm sure guys have some rough country in in colorado the cool thing about satellite footage is you know some of this stuff from base maps and onyx are really good photos
2: oh absolutely
0: and you can really tell that it's gonna be a hump you know um so at the end of the day, I mean, if you can get the elevation from one one park to the top of the ridge, you can of tell if that's an eight hundred foot eight hundred foot climb, son. I mean, it's not going to be easy, you know. Yeah. Uh, in any of those, but yeah, it's you- really what you put into your into your like uh, Luis said, what do you put into your prep and understanding, you know. Uh, your, your terrain. I feel for guys that come to the West for the first time that don't understand topography and don't understand altitude because it's a real thing, you know, (laughs) uh, especially if you're around, you know, in shape and round is a shape. So like, you know, at the end of the day, you got t
2: shirts soon to come. <laughs> Do what? T-shirt Do what? soon to come. Yeah, man. That's his uh, motto.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> round
3: this you say. I got
0: two gears, and they're both slow. So <laughs> tell that to Carl. line, <laughs> well,
2: big go. <laughs> um, but I just think that's critical, man. I uh, again, all of these things. If if you can look at each of those areas that we talked about. If you can, you know, it's hard for you to do situational help on finding hard to find out. But you can do it for places that are unfamiliar. You can become familiar with places so that you're you're better off with that. Now, situational prep for other hunters that are present Um, that's a a little bit difficult either, Uh, I'm sorry, as well. But there's things that you can do as far as when you're there that we talk about those strategies and and other things as far as pressured areas. So check those out. Unknown distance we just talked about. I'm telling you, if you learn, um, even here's a good thing to practice, is to know what 20 yards is. And then if you know the distance from you to 20 yards and you're able to go what's 20 yards from that, Man, then, yes, then you, you've you got that covered. You just mm-hmm. do increments like that. So that's something there. Um, we talked about as far as uh, shooting up or down. You know, I even you guys that, that live in flat country, you do a lot of tree stand stuff. You know, so you kind of get an idea. You don't do a lot of shooting up which happens a lot in the Western Mountains. So if there's ways that you can work and and amend that and try to practice that, that would help (laughs) you. Um, In cover, we talked about various weather conditions with various hunting clothing and gear and heavy packs. That's something that we didn't cover a lot there. But I'll tell you, if you hunt in it, shoot in it. Hike in it. Run in it you know uh get used to that gear because it fe- i didn't a know lot, that a, this lot year.
5: a lot to be said the first day when you are carrying your pack and your bow and you come back to camp after 10 miles uh, it, yeah it, it, it tells you right away whether or not you practice for it or not
2: grinders tuning in thank you for listening to the blue collar elk hunting podcast Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information, plus so much more, from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands, as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing. You have ever experienced in concept and structure using success based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead. The next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Basecamp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet so if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year invest in the most important piece of equipment there is you and your elk hunting knowledge you can find the blue collar elk hunting academy and the base camp training camp at elkbros.com that's e-l-k-b-r-o-s.com keep dreaming of the screaming believing in achieving and most of all keep grinding
0: i did that this year i put oh i look like a goon walking around my neighborhood it's really like somebody you know that might call the police on me but uh i had that big rucksack on man filled with some 20 pound dumbbells and everything and then you know i had uh you know, a big heavy stick in my left hand because we got dogs in my neighborhood and they ain't they ain't on no leash law or anything. And these dogs want to come out and try to bite you, so I beat them over the head with a big stick if I have to. But at the end of the day, I carry that big stick in my hand. It's just like carrying my bow around, right? You know? Yes, And sir. I switch hands. So when I'm doing my walks or my run preparation, man, I got that pack on. And I'm gonna tell you. My back wasn't near as sore this year as it has been in many, many others. Not to mention, I wear a really good pack from Badlands. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, little plug there for Badlands. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, those packs that cost a little more money are really comfortable. Yeah. And uh, that makes a huge deal when you're, you know, 8, 10 miles into yeah. it. Yeah, try, and try you your equipment. You know.
4: And
5: that, that's another point, Beto. You don't want to buy new equipment and then just, say oh I'm going to use this new equipment when I want to get in the mountains yeah, you make you sure you're usually. comfortable with your equipment before yeah. you go there buy it ahead of time try it out same with the boots right
0: okay. don't and, and, boots to the mountains.
5: and then it's same with a pack the pack works the same way you know it's funny when you say that I was actually I had my pack with some weight on and I had dumbbells on each side and I was kind of running around the neighborhood with that equipment on <laughs> it was funny I mean I had a, I kind of was getting close to a couple of teenagers uh walking on the street and those girls were scared i mean they just kind of crossed went across the the road to the other side walk, don't blame them. and i'm like i don't either you know i was like oh, okay well I, maybe i look kind of weird and scary with the yeah, man, back like on. And <laughs> so
2: fuck? Yeah, Oh, oh, what yeah. are you thinking, man? What the hell? <laughs> uh, so,
5: uh, so,
2: yeah, I mean, just uh, those are things definitely to keep in mind. And don't forget John, the side hill know. and search out the roughest areas, not the smooth walking, man. Volcanic roads. And
0: there's nothing flat about where we walk, man. Volcanic Yeah, it's it's these big heads sticking up all the time <laughs> man. I mean, and they grab you and pump your toe and you fall over and uh, fall yeah. down man i cuss so many times if, if y'all had a camera on me most of the day it'd be bleep, 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 It'd wear your tutor out. i'm telling you because uh, those things it's it's like the the head monkey jumps up and grabs your foot and knocks you over
2: you know i mean <laughs> It's crazy, man. So, guys, I think we covered that. Let's uh, let's move on before we get out here to Elk Bros Mailbox.
3: Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the first uh, letter we have comes from Mike Wilson and from Ogden, Utah. Mike. The Mike. And he says, "I've always given a day recovery between whatever I'm working on, but maybe there are fitness aspects a person can safely work on daily." I've got a long ways to go to get my shooting back on track and I don't want to either miss opportunities to keep building strength or not give enough rest. Get enough rest is pretty means, I think. Are exercises like walking and maybe a few lower weight pulls on the bow or electric bands generally safe to do daily? Heck yeah! I'm not seeking formal medical advice here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just some things you all practice or teach. Thanks. And and it's I, I think that meant to be elastic
2: bands, but it probably got corrected there. But oh, yeah, electric. Chav, why don't you take that from the top?
3: Well, you can always uh, go hard one day and easy the next. You know, uh, if you're pulling a lot of weight, uh on your bow or uh, whatever device you're using. You can do that one day and then maybe use those uh, elastic bands the next day at a, at a slightly, uh, they come in different colors. So they're different uh, weights to them. And you can do that, you can actually do that daily. But again, uh, uh, what I like to preach is, you know, uh, know your body. Your body will tell you if you're doing too much and if you need uh, maybe a day recovery or more you know, listen to your body when you're doing that. And, uh, you know, the walking, you don't have to walk three miles every day. You can walk a mile one day, maybe two the next, take a day off, then walk a mile, <laughs> two miles. You just vary it. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you don't have to do something hard every single day. Some people can when they're, when they're young, but as you get older, uh, you know, I would suggest uh, rest days, plenty of rest days
2: in there, or or relaxed activity. You know, like you said, you know, walk walk a distance, but walk it easy. It doesn't have to be anything hard or or something like that. And and what I found is if you're doing body weight exercises, those are things that generally you can do every day. Um, whereas if you're doing any kind of you know uh, actual uh, Heavyweight lifting breakdown, where you're tearing down muscles and building up, those that's the type of things that you got to have that every other day because they have to rebuild. But if you're just doing um, certain fitness things, again, like Jeff says, read your body, man. That's the most important, you know, yeah. when you do it. But you well, know, if, if you're somebody that works <coughs> digging ditches, you go out every day and you dig ditches every day. And you become really, really strong in your back and in your shoulders and everything, Exactly. it is every day. So it's just something that the body can become accustomed to because it's general stuff, it's general strength, it's general fitness, like body weight stuff. So yes, sir. Uh, just keep that in mind on that. Yeah,
5: I, I would add to that, Joe. It's like, um, to chaff point, definitely your body will, will tell you. But I think that the more you do it, the more your body will feel more comfortable about it. And, uh, you know, you can get to a point when you can actually train and exercise every day, and it becomes mental. At that point, your mind understands and knows that your
0: body can handle it.
2: The word was train, though. uh, Yeah, that's super right. Not
0: tear yourself down every day. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. There's a difference in how hard you go with training and versus Exactly. Because when you're building, you're tearing stuff up to rebuild it.
5: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And and then obviously, you know, when you work out, it's good to understand which part of the body you're working out. Because one day you may be working legs, and then the next day you're working, you know, the upper body and stuff like that. And then the next day you go on and on. But again, sometimes even just the getting that heartbeat going and that blood flowing, actually helps you with the soreness of the workout of the previous day. So sometimes just at least getting that cardio going on, it helps a ton with the recovery as well.
2: If you're an elk hunter, be on your legs every day for the whole hunt with stuff on your back going up and over. So let your body do stuff every day with your legs Um, and it doesn't have to be hard every day like chav says but understand if you're going to perform you're going to perform every day when you're out there hunting so that's just something i always believe in mimicking what the activity is i think that's one of the best ways to go
5: sounds good well the next up we got mr landon wheeler from jacksonville florida well i'll tell you what man landon Go visit the loop pizza there as a as a shameless plug here for my brother-in-law <laughs> in, in Jacksonville, Florida. I've been there a few times, love the place. Uh he's got a few loop pizza places there. Um love love the love the place. Um and uh so yeah, very familiar with where you live, man. And he says, Thank you guys for all you do, love the show and want to know who to report to. If I were to become a member of the Venezuelan mafia, so the answer <laughs> you had it at the beginning of the show. I mean, Beto, Beto, re- answer that question for you. I mean, he'll he have to vet
0: all members. He
5: okay, he called me number one. He called Manano number okay. 2 so, human, so, and, and because I've been to Jacksonville, <laughs> Florida, and I get connections there, you know who you need to report to. Okay, uh, so let me about
1: that. let me say this, Landon, uh, Venezuelan mafia. There is a there is no business structure that's a flat you know managerial control so there is no reporting here just bring in your bow and your equipment to our camp and you will be a part of the venezuelan mafia yeah that's
5: that's the way he likes to see it because he knows he's got no chance but anyway brother hit me up
1: luis at lbros.com Let's
5: stay in touch. So there's so, more to question here.
1: <laughs> and, and hey, Yeah, man, uh, please. That, that, that's that kind of a leader. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I actually, would, I would tell says, you this,
0: Landon. If you have any questions, please uh, get after me, man, at uh, elkbros.com. That's Gilbert at elkbros.com.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so, so he says, actually, I'm curious about how long it takes to get good enough with a diaphragm call to not scare everything away when I call. Do I need multiple? We'll let types? you. We'll,
0: we'll let you handle that, Louise. <laughs>
5: yeah. Let, let him finish it out. Let's see what he has. Do I need multiple types of diaphragms? Calls in case one is not working, kind of like having t- uh, to use different lures when I'm fishing. Oh, oh, oh I see. <laughs> so mm-hmm.
0: okay. that's a good point if the spinnerbait ain't working let's break out the crankbait
5: that's a good <laughs> point so you can ask the you know the the number two leader of the Venezuelan mafia about uh-huh. diaphragms uh, I, I know ooh. how to cockle it works oh yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah beto's face mm. uh said everything mm?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, go ahead joey you know, <laughs> um you Know how long does it take to get good enough with a diaphragm call? Look, uh, the whole thing is about to create opportunities. If, um, I man, I called elk for 30 years where I used the same diaphragm call all the time, not the same one, I bought the same, same brand, style yeah. every time I had to tune it, it was the same type right there. But I know I, that's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, how long does it take? It takes it depends on each person. You know, mm-hmm. if you work Tana's at it, time. all you need is a decent cow call to start out with and has been at it for five years. And in a in a decent in <laughs> a decent location bugle. If you have that just with different tones and different uh lengths and different intensities you can do all kinds of stuff so do i think you could do it between now and september absolutely heck yes, yes. If you heck you yes. know if you utilize that that time in your car if you aggravated the heck out of your family if they push you out in the garage whatever <laughs> it takes man but yeah you could do that now this is real interesting do i need multiple He said types of diaphragm calls in case one's not working, uh, kind of like using different lures. So the answer to that is no. Right. Um, You know, when you call with a diaphragm call, you're going to kind of have a a signature in the way that you call. Some of them can give different tones and stuff, but it's not like one is going to work and the other one's not. I mean, you're still going to do cow calls instead of that.
0: You have to make the elk sound.
2: Yeah. But, you know, I've seen people that did use external like cow calls that had a lot of luck with some of those when they weren't doing well with the diaphragm call. So that's something for you to think about. Most of those hyper
0: calls, though, were really rut sensitive there, Joe. Yeah. Hyper. Those those calls that make that high pitch. Uh
5: And Landon, in my opinion, is that, look, if you find uh, one diaphragm call you feel comfortable with And, and you actually feel comfortable at making, you know, the general sounds. You don't have to be an expert at making, you know, speaking the entire language, but at least a solid good cow call and a solid bugle uh, with one diaphragm that works for you. Uh, make sure you have at least two of those that kind of work really good. In case you lose one, you have your backup there. You don't need different kinds, just whatever works best for you. And you just keep keep using that one. Now, you know, when you get to a different level, I know Joe has different – Uh, different diaphragm calls in his in his little pouch there and he switches them over when they start getting stretched and stuff like that and uh,
2: or if I'm looking for one that I can scream all day on like if if we're in a situation where they're responding to bugles more than they are cow calls and I have to do a lot of screaming I want a little bit thicker latex because the diaphragms come in light to thicker latexes And and I'll tell you for a beginner I would go light to a medium on my latex where it's easy for me to make sounds um, yeah. instead of some thicker. So, you know, you just want something where you can make a decent cow call that you can even do just a young bull with you know. Yeah,
5: and one of the things I would encourage you to do man, don't be afraid of scaring everything away like you're yeah. saying in your comment. Yeah. Look, and I know the feeling, right? I know the feeling. I I feel the same way. You're out there everything's quiet and you're about to scream something I'm like, "Oh my god, you know, am I might even sounding something like it?" But uh, you know, we've said it in the podcast before, you know, sometimes some of the ugliest bugles that we think think are humans turn out to actually be you know bulls and 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 cows out there so
2: have and i we were be just listening to that today we were listening to some actual bulls today huh Chab? that yeah horrible <laughs>
3: yeah really bad yeah so Never i mean noticed. i
5: encourage you to just go and, and, and maybe get a couple different brands and try them out and see which ones you like better and just keep chugging at it and then Give it a get a give it a whirl, get a couple of them, get comfortable with them, and don't be afraid to use them.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And you know, for me, starting out, you know, Joe and uh RC and Carl gave me a, a really good call, I felt like. And I still I still use it today and I'll show it to you. It's the Black Primos call right there, and you can get it on Amazon. And uh it is very simple to Make a sound with that call. Uh, I enjoyed all of the calls. I mean, from amp to you—you you name it. But that call for me was a godsend for me, and I still blow it today in several different situations. You know, uh, I blow some Carlson stuff, uh, Carlton stuff, uh, amped up. I mean, Phelps, yeah, Phelps. Uh, I've got them all in my pack, uh, but. You know, a lot of times I go back to this tried and true old old blackie, and uh it makes great sound, makes really good whines. What I really like about it is you don't have to force a ton of air through it to get a really good cow call. That's you that
2: latex man. man. Yeah,
0: and I mean it. Sometimes when you're hunting early season too, it's those little subtle yeah yeah that really gain their attention, right? Yep. Other than the big, you know yeah you know we we're looking at a lost cow, but That early stuff, man, those little quiet cow calls uh, seem to trigger them bulls in in a lot of Mm. different situations. Got to
5: sound sexy, brother.
0: Yeah, and and I think, (laughs) like Joe said, those thinner thinner latexes give you that. And I'm not saying that all the companies out there don't make a thin latex. I'm just telling you guys what worked for me. And, uh, you know... I went through the trials and tribulations of blowing that thing and about having a divorce here at the house so you know you guys do it in your car i mean look paul Medell, those guys and uh you know uh the elk nut i mean golly those guys put out some unbelievable content on how to blow a diaphragm call you know and how to sound so i mean it's crazy
2: sounds good man let's lock it out thanks for the question landon
0: absolutely landon if you Guys, you know, if if you like what we're doing here, please subscribe, rate, and review us. you got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us. And you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. You know, just a reminder, if you have any of our listeners would like their question answered on our show, just send your question to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com com Another fantastic show tonight, Joe. Plenty of, plenty of uh, information from the mafia, from the ninja. I mean, we actually got him to talk a little more tonight, uh, for sure. Always glad, good to have him spouting off that wisdom because he always leaves it for us. And you know, Joe's always profound in what he talks about and leading us into these conversations about. You know, Joe's watched every one of us come through our own. Uh, growing pains and growing within the elk community and how we call and you know our fitness and how our practice regimen how we shoot joe's been able to coach that the whole time for us so we're kind of spoiled but you know you guys uh, you're getting that content for free here on this podcast so it should if you guys are attentive and you're writing things down it should shorten that learning curve like we talked about tonight huh joe
2: yep absolutely
0: well fellas uh, another fantastic show. Uh, look forward to next week. Like we say down here in Texas, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue
2: Collar Elk Peace, peace, everybody. Peace.